As you know, we teach in series uh, most of the time, and so we're picking up from where we were in the book of John chapter uh, 17. Uh, We have communicated that this particular chapter, John 17, is a prayer. It is a prayer uh, that Jesus himself prayed to the Father in fellowship with the Father God. And so I'm just going to uh, point out a couple of things that we've uh, pointed out, reiterate those uh, today in this passage. So we'll look, uh, first of all, in uh, verse uh, 23, John 17 and uh, verse 23. It says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. I in them, Jesus saying, I in them, this is my prayer, that I would be in them, that thou would be in me, of course, and that they may be made perfect in one. So in unity, in oneness, certainly in Christ. That prayer, in a large way, was answered through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and through the new birth. We have been made one with Christ We've been made one with the Father. Jesus has come to live in our hearts by faith. And so Jesus lives in you as a believer. But he lives in us corporately as the church or as uh, the body of Jesus Christ. So he said that we would be one or be made perfect in one. That then the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So that the world would know, so this oneness in Christ, this union with Christ and union with each other and oneness uh, would cause the world to see that I have been sent. Uh, That God the Father sent the Son. The world may know. All right, so that the world would know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So God loved us. God loved us as he loved Jesus. God so loved the what world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God so loved the world, all the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So then he says that the world would know that you've loved them as thou hast loved me. Then go down to verse 26. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. The love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. So the same love that the Father had uh, toward Jesus, he said, that love would be in us and that Jesus himself would live in us. Well, thank God Jesus does live in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus has come to live, dwell, abide in our hearts by faith, that we are born of the Spirit of God, that Jesus Christ lives in us, has literally changed our heart or changed our nature and given us new life or eternal life. 
Eternal life, the gift of God, has literally changed us on the inside or changed our nature. Well, part of that change in our nature is that God's love indwells us, that we are born of God and that we are born of love. He said that the love wherewith us love me may be in them and I in them. So then the key to unity, and I uh, shared a little bit of this on Sunday night, but I'm just uh, reviewing Uh, But the key to unity in a marriage is love. The key to unity in a family is love. The key to unity in a friendship is love. So where there's love, there is unity. All right, so then uh, uh, fourth, the key to unity in a church is love. So if you want unity in your marriage, then love is going to have to be central. What husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, then, if you want unity in your family, there's going to have to be love involved. If you want unity in your friendships, then love has to be uh, a main key. And so, if you want unity in a local church, then you have to have this thing called love. If you want unity in a community, then love. Well, he just said to us that uh, the world would know. Because of the love of God in us, they would know that God has sent Jesus. So there is a demonstration of the love of God uh, through unity. When we have unity in the spirit, unity in our hearts and our lives, unity, I mean, your, your, your life individually can be an example. Your, your marriage can be a, an example of Christ in the church. Uh, Your family can be an example to the community and to people. The church can be an example uh, to the community because of the love of God and the unity of the Spirit. And uh, we can affect our community because of the love of God. So the love of God is central and is key to unity in any given situation. All right, so then we're going to go... Uh, to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, and we're going to read verse 12. Verse 12 of John 15, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, how is it that we can obey this commandment? He said, This is my commandment. It's not a suggestion. It is God's command. He said, This is my commandment, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you, or in the same way that I have loved you. Well, then, uh, the only way we can do that is because God's love is in us. God's agape love, or God kind of love, is in us. The love of God is in us by birth. In other words, when we're born again, we have the love of God in us. And, of course, uh, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, it says, And hope makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So the love of God, in two, uh, two senses, you were born of the Spirit, so you have God's love nature inside of you. And then uh, the Holy Spirit continue, uh, continues to cause that love to be poured forth into your heart. So, uh, you know, you can be saved and be born again, uh, but not be conscious of it. Uh, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not yield to the Holy Spirit and not have that love flowing as it should be flowing in our lives. So it is, a, uh, it is an act of faith, of course, and we have to live with a consciousness and awareness of God's love on the inside. 
that Christ literally lives in us and God's love is in us. And so, therefore, we can obey the command to love one another as in the same way that I have loved you. So let's go down uh, to the next verse we want to look at in verse 17. He said, these things I command you that you love one another. These things I what? Command you that you love one another. Well, he's not just talking about us loving the world in these verses. He's talking about us loving each other. So then, uh, why would Jesus need to pray that? And why would Jesus uh, actually uh, give that commandment or God give that commandment? Uh, Because he knows there's going to be challenges. In other words, we will have challenge to our love life. If your love life has never been challenged, then uh, you probably hadn't even had had a love life. Uh, In other words, you haven't really even uh, understood that you have to walk in love if you're going to live according to God's commandments. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So one of his commandments in the New Testament and the greatest commandment is to love God, right? To love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We'll look at it in a moment. And uh, so then to love your neighbor, how? As yourself. So love, this, this kind of love that uh, is referred to is actually uh, agape love, which is the God kind of love. The verb form is agapeo, and the verb form obviously is the action. In other words, you can have love on the inside, but you don't necessarily, you can have God's agape in you, the noun, you can have it in you. You could be born of love, uh, but you uh, are not necessarily acting in love or using the verb form. You're not necessarily uh, agapeo. You're not necessarily acting on that love that is on the inside. So as a Christian, uh, love uh, is something that we have to choose to act on. It's something that uh, we choose to walk in. Uh, we are to walk in love. We are uh, to love our wives as, wives as Christ loved the church. And we are to love one another. We are to do it in the same way, he says, as he does. The same kind of love that he has is on the inside of us and the same quality of love that he has is on the inside of us and the same love that he has we can activate in our life. So the, the word agapeo, according to W. Vines, he says, love can be known only from the action it prompts. W. Vines, love can be known only from the action it prompts. In other words, the world will know because we actually act in the love of God. Only by the action it prompts, God's love is seen in the gift of his son. How do you know God loves you? He proved his love in the while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, it was an action on God's part and an action on Jesus' part. So God loved us, his love for us is seen in the gift of his own son. But obviously, this is not the love of complacency or of affection. In other words, it's, just, it's not just natural love because sometimes natural love can be complacent. Or you could have an affection for someone, but, you know, if you get offended, then you lose your affection. Happens in husbands and wives' lives, right? doesn't it? Uh, you love your wife. You thought you loved her, right? You love your husband. You thought you loved her. 
or him, right? So it's, it's a matter of you thought you loved them, but your affection was affected by their action or inaction, what they did or what they didn't do, what you expected them to do that they didn't follow through. All right, so if you just go by affection love, then uh, you might, uh, might not have a good relationship. In fact, you won't have a good relationship because the love of God, God's agape love, runs deeper. Now, certainly you need the love of affection. You need an affectionate love, a phileo-type love, friendship love, and and uh, being affection, and she says that is, it was not drawn out, out by the any excellency in its objects. Any, uh, he said, in other words, this love is not drawn out by the excellency in its ob- objects. And so, uh, God loved us when we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he didn't wait for us to get everything right, and then we love you. All right, so let's go further, he says. It was an exercise of the divine will, a deliberate choice. So then love, in this case, God's love is an exercise of God's will and by deliberate choice. So then we have to also choose to love. It's made without assignable cause, save that which lies in the nature of God himself. In other words, simply, the only reason God loved us is because God is love. Because there was no reason, naturally, in our sinful state for him to love, because he doesn't love sin. But he loved us, and he loved the world, and he loved all of his creation. And so, God created man in his image after his likeness and in his fall. Now, God has seen him fall, seen him disobey God, and disobey and walk away from God and run away from God. But now he says in that God still loves us by his own nature, just because it's in his nature. So as a Christian, just because it's in your nature, you love people. Sometimes they don't uh, seemingly act like they deserve to be loved, in your opinion, right? Or by your perception. But uh, the reality is the love of God is so deep, it's deeper than just a love of affection. It's deeper than just your feelings. It's deeper than their action or inaction. The love of God runs deeper. So he says, Christian love, without uh, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men, generally is not an impulse from the feelings. It is not just an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclination. It does not always run with the natural inclination. Because the natural inclination... of your flesh at times would react, right? The natural inclination of your flesh is that you would blow up. So instead of grow up, people blow up. But the key to your success in this love walk is that you grow up. Because growing up into him, you're growing up into love. 
when you grow up into Christ, you're going to grow up into love. And instead of reacting to every situation or reacting to what people do or don't do, you can respond in the love of God. And the love of God overmasters you and it compels you. And it causes you to act in love when others don't. If you're waiting for everybody to walk in love until you do it, you're going to be waiting till you die because not everybody is. Brother Hagin said it this way. He said, I'm going to walk in love. I've decided I'm going to walk in love whether anybody else does or not. Well, then that's the decision that every Christian should make. I've decided I'm going to walk in love whether anybody else does or not. I'm going to walk in love. Now, when we say walk in love, we're talking about the God kind of love. And it does not, it's not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with natural inclination, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. In other words, you may have an affectionate love for some people, and other people you don't even hardly know them, or maybe you're not particularly attracted to them as far as friendships or relationships, but you should love everybody, and you should love them with the love of God. Love everyone with the love of God. The love of God is something that is deeper than just your friendship love, your phileo love. It's more than just an affection for someone, an affinity for someone. It is the God kind of love that sees them the way God sees them, that loves them the way God loves them. And if you love people the way God loves them, then love is a pulling power that pulls people out of darkness into light. In other words, the world is going to see the love of God in you, and it's going to cause them to be attracted to him Because they're attracted to what's in you. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a lover of God and you love God and you love them and love people, I believe that it has an influence that is greater than anything that you have to offer. So let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, we'll look at verse 34. In verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. A new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In the same way, or as I've loved you, he said, I want you to love one another. Now, he says that this is a new commandment. This is the agape love. This is agapeo. This is the kind of love that you express and activate toward others. And so he says this is a new commandment. In other words, before this, you really didn't even have the capacity to do this. Before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is kind of setting them up for the new covenant. So before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this kind of love was not inborn in people. But when you get born again, this kind of love is inborn in you. Now, you still have flesh wrapped around uh, your spirit, so we are pretty aware that that's a reality, right? It's pretty, uh, pretty obvious that that's a reality. Some people don't want to admit it. 
In other words, they don't want to admit that they're not walking in love. They, won't, they don't want to admit uh, they're pretty good at criticizing others, but not so good at critiquing their own life. But if you want to know how well you're walking in love, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8 in the Amplified Bible and a few other translations, and that'll tell you whether or not you're walking in love. So everybody needs a test on a regular basis. You're going to get one one way or the other. I said everybody needs a test every now and then, but you're going to get one one way or the other. You're going to have to test yourself so that you can pass the test when it comes. In other words, if you'll uh, put yourself in the light of the Word of God and just look at your life, your attitude, your words, your actions, in the light of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, read that every day for 30 days and see how well you're doing. And then you can actually evaluate yourself. Self-evaluation means that you have the power now to change. If you're evaluating others, then you can't change them because everybody else has to make their own choice. But you, you alone can make your choice. If you could have made your wife's choice, you would have made it long ago. If you could have made your husband's choice, you would have made it long ago. Right? If you could have made all of your children's choices, you would have made them. Right? Uh, at, at every age, you know, they're, they're developing their knowledge and understanding of, of life, and they're going to have to start making choices. You help them decide as they're little, and as they grow older and older, then they're getting more and more ability to make their own choices, and we trust they make the right choices. But you don't just get to make everybody's choices. You can't even make other people's choices, but you can make your choices. So if love has to be uh, chosen, in other words, you have to choose to walk in love, it's deliberate choice, it's a deliberate choice and a deliberate action, then you can choose to walk in love because God has given us the commandment to do so, then he wouldn't tell us to do something that he didn't give us the ability to do, right? So then he says that this is a new commandment that you walk in love. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. By this, people will know, all men will know that you are, what? My disciples. A disciple is simply a disciplined follower of Jesus. A disciple is not one that just says, well, I believe in Jesus. A disciple is one who actually follows him. You know, there was a lot of people that, uh, you know, that believed in Jesus in Jesus' day. But he had real followers. People that actually, we have what we call the 12 disciples, right? We have other disciples and followers of Jesus. Some people followed him closer. There was Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. And so uh, we had people that were following Jesus at a certain level, but others, oh, we believe in Jesus. Some people have actually accepted Jesus, been born again, but they're not disciplined followers of Jesus. There is a difference in a disciplined follower of Jesus. Well, a disciplined follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, how are they going to know that we are his disciples? How are they going to know? All right, let's read the verse again. In verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. If you have what? Love one to another. Now notice the word he said. He said that you have love one to another. 
He didn't just say for another. Because you, you could have love for someone and not show love to someone. It happens all the time. Husbands love their wives. Wives love their, love their husbands, but they don't always express it to them. They love their children, but they don't always express it to them. But how is the world going to know? I mean, just the way you behave, uh, you know, in public with your children, the world are going to, boy, that's, that's impressive. How you communicate with your children, how you communicate with your wife or your husband. You know, if you have, if you have a major disagreement, you don't have to do it publicly. It's very shameful. You've watched people do it in a public uh, uh, place, and it looks ridiculous. Made, made both of them look like a fool in a marriage, right? And, and so they just did it right there out in public. You know, at least go home and have your discussion. Sit down in some kind of uh, uh, respectful manner. Well, but, you know, if you're out there and you're showing respect and love and kindness and courtesy... What's it going to do? It's going to be a, a, a testimony, isn't it? Well, if the church, the body of Christ, respects one another, loves each other, it's going to be a testimony to the world. If they can't see it in us, where are they going to see it at all? They're not going to see it. The love of God is in us. It's in the church. It's in the body of Christ. And if they can't see it in us, then they're not going to see the love of God. So if we lose touch with love, then we lose touch with God. And if we lose touch with God, then we're really on our own. And I don't want to live on my own. I want to stay in touch with God, so I want to stay in touch with love. And any any step out of love is a step out of God. Any step away from love is a step away from God. Any step in love is a step toward God and in God. And every step you make in love, God is on your side and God is for you. So the love of God is essential. Woo! I'll tell you, we got to use that word. The love of God is essential in your life. It's essential in your home. It's essential in your marriage, in your family. It's essential uh, in, in your friendships. It's essential in the church. It's essential in our world. It is a necessary ingredient for the world to even know the church has anything to offer. Hallelujah. And we do. We have, we do, and we always will. Because the love of God is in us. And we can and we will show the love one to another. Love. Hallelujah. To one another. So I'm going to take you to another scripture which is somewhat familiar. But uh, we're going to go to it anyway because I like to look at the scripture. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to go to verse 35. Verse 35, Matthew uh, 22 and verse 35 says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. So not all questions are honest questions. Some questions, if you look at uh, the Gospels over and over again, when they would ask him questions, they weren't just really looking for good answers. They were, they were just trying to tempt him or put him to the test. And so, Jesus always seemed to pass the test. So when they're tempting him, and these are lawyers, you know, these are uh, people that are students of the Bible. All right, these are people that are students of Scripture. 
You know, sometimes people that are students of Scripture, they can study the Bible, but they don't study it honestly. Been around a while. So not everybody that studies the Bible studies it honestly. Not everybody that quotes the Bible quotes it honestly. So here in this case, they're tempting Jesus, and they're asking him a question. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, if you look at it in other passages as well. So then he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the first, and this is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And again, if you look at other passages, with all your strength. So that really entails your spirit, your soul, your body. Wow, that's pretty amazing. If you can get your spirit, your soul, and your body in line, In other words, you get your soul, your mind in subjection to your spirit, and you can get your flesh in subjection to your spirit, you have mastered life. Because that is the the goal of uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. If you read the epistles, the letters written to the church, that is the goal of the Apostle John. That is the goal of the Scriptures to get you in the spirit. Because if he can get you, God can get you in the spirit, and you can be ruled by your spirit, you're going to be ruled by love. You're going to be ruled by the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is going to control your life. Rather than your flesh dominating you from the outside, your spirit will control you from the inside. So he said, this is the way you're going to love God. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, everything in you, loving God. Well, when you love God that way, when you get around people, something's going to come out of you. The love of God is going to come out of you. It is going to be exhibited. In other words, you're going to show it to someone else. So he says, this is the first and great commandment that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and again, with all your strength. He says... This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You'll love your neighbor how? You'll love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you realize how much God loves you, how much God loves you, he loves you like he loves Jesus. John chapter 17. He loves you in the same way he loved Jesus. And he put that same kind of love on the inside of you. Gave you the ability to love like he loves. Amazing grace. Amazing love. He says, now you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor may be somebody that you know that's very close to you. Your neighbor may be somebody you don't know. And so either way, you're to love people. And sometimes the people that are closest to you are the people that seemingly hurt you the most. And so you you have a challenge there, don't you? You have a challenge whether or not you're going to walk in love and forgiveness in certain cases. So he says that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the law. And the prophets. So the whole law, he says, and the prophets are hanging on these two commandments. Go with me, please, to Romans chapter 13. 
Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, we're going to begin a reading with verse 7 or verse 8. Let's go to verse 8. It says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Don't owe any man anything but to love one another. That's a pretty big debt. You'll be doing that the rest of your life. You'll be working on that process. He says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Because he said, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you're hanging... if The whole law is hanging on these two commandments. If these two commandments fall... You're not going to be doing the rest of them. All right, so let's look at it. He said, verse 9, if you've obeyed the commandment of love, then you have fulfilled the law. He said, for this thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, if you're committing adultery, people call it love. It's called lust. Well, I loved her. Well, no, you lusted after her, and you left your wife and did wrong. All right, so committing adultery. He said, thou shalt not kill. Or, actually, thou shalt not commit murder. And so, that's the literal. So then, thou shalt not commit murder. So he says, thou shalt not steal. Well, obviously, you're not going to murder somebody if you love them. You're not going to steal from them if you love them. No, stealing is indication that you love yourself. Right? In other words, you think you deserve to take something that belongs to somebody else. So he said, thou shalt, bear, thou shalt not bear false witness, or don't lie. He said, thou shalt not covet. And if you read it in Exodus, don't covet your neighbor's wife, don't covet your neighbor's goods or any, anything that your neighbor has. You know, so in other words, you can't, if you're going to obey the law and the commandments, you're not going to covet what belongs to somebody else. If, it, if it's their possession or their uh, belongings, then you don't covet it. You don't even want what they have. You want to get your own. All right, so thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying. In other words, all the commandments are comprehended in this one saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So in other words, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal from them. You're not going to lie about them. You're not going to manipulate. You're not going to try to deceive others concerning them. In other words, you're not going to tell, bear false witness. All right, so uh, you're not going to covet anything that belongs to them. You're happy that they have it. You rejoice with those that rejoice. You're just glad that they're blessed, and you believe God wants to bless you as well. All right, so you're not going to covet. So he says, all of it is uh, really contained in this one saying, if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you're going to fulfill all of the law. You're going to fulfill the commandments of God. He said, love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love works no ill to its neighbor. Or to his neighbor. Well, think about love works no ill. So uh, you could really use that verse to test your action. 
You could use that verse to test your own words, to evaluate your own attitude. If you do that on a regular basis, how is this going to affect someone else? How is this going? If I, if I do this, how is it going to affect them? Is it going to be productive? Is it going to bring an attitude of love toward them and that they know that I love them, that, I know, that they know that I'm caring for them, caring for their soul, caring for their life? Uh, love works no ill to his neighbor. So you, if, you, if you evaluate before you speak, evaluate before you, uh, you cop this attitude, or evaluate uh, before uh, you act, right? If you evaluate your action or your words or your attitude, boy, you, you would find out that you wouldn't do a lot of things that you do. You'd, uh, you'd hold back from saying a lot of things that you say and doing a lot of things that you do. Why? Because you know it's going to work ill to your neighbor. All right, consider this in the Johnson translation. He says, so love fulfills the intent of the rule because it wills positive good to the neighbor. Love fulfills the intent of the rule. Sometimes people are real dogmatic about certain things like, you know, if you caught your kids stealing, I hope you'd correct them. Right? And teach them not ever do that again. All right? So you teach them. You're emphatic about that, I hope. Or, uh, you know, somebody murders someone, there, there is a consequence. There is a justice and judgment as a result, right? So we should be emphatic about that. But we should also be emphatic about loving and working no ill. Now, here he says, love fulfills the intent of the rule. So, some people are very good at rules and regulations. But love fulfills the intent of the rule. What is the intent? What is the motivation? Well, if love is your motivation, then that fulfills the intent of the rule. In other words, God considers others. He doesn't just want you to consider yourself. Certainly wants you to consider yourself because you're to love your neighbor what? As yourself. You're to have self-worth, self-value. But if you have self-worth and self-value, then you also should have value for others as well. So then, in this case, uh, how is my action, how is my attitude, how are my words going to affect someone else? Because I'm to love my neighbor in order to fulfill the law. Then I'm to love my neighbor as myself. Then I'm to love them with the love of God. And I recognize that God loves me. And I recognize that he has a value for me. So therefore, I value myself. And therefore, I value others. And I want to treat them with the same regard and respect and consideration and love. Amen. That God has loved me with. And if you do that, man, your relationships are going to be healthy. Now, not perfect because not everybody in the relationship circle is going to do that. So you do your part. You cannot do someone else's part. You can only do your own. You can't do their part. If you could, in some cases, you would. If you could, you'd do it for your children. I know you would, right? If you could, you would. 
But you can't. You just got to teach them to learn to develop this thing in their life called love and grow in the love of God so that they learn how to treat one another in your family, how to treat you, how to treat uh, uh, their siblings. Well, you, you, if you could, you'd do it for your husband. And if you could, in certain cases, you'd do it for your, uh, for your friends because you love them. You want it to work for them. You want, you want life to be good for them. If you could, you would do that. But reality is you can't. Is that right? So you have to teach and instruct and you have to model. In other words, you have to live it yourself so that others know that this is possible. Love is a way to unity. Love is a way to blessing and unity in your home, in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, in the church, in the community. Love is the way for unity to be realized in our world. Love of God. The love of God is key.